0: Well, good morning, Grace family, and all those who are visiting with us today. My name is Robert Balfour. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace Northridge Church. And I'm coming to you obviously from an alternative location. Um, This week, my family contracted uh, COVID-19. And for that reason, I am coming to you from afar um, in an abandoned office (laughs) during a time where nobody else is up here, um, trying to uh, make sure that I don't uh, spread any germs to you. Um, we've decided to modify things a little bit, so my intention is to have a, a brief message here with you and then for Bishop Sandy, who will be live in person on Sunday morning, um, to lead you uh, into a time of prayer and reflection um, based on this uh, this message. Um, so I appreciate your uh, understanding and flexibility in the sort of alternative format today. I want to begin this morning by sharing an observation I've had of myself as a relatively new homeowner. For most of my life, I have rented apartments and homes. And three years ago, however, my wife and I purchased our first house. Soon after we moved in, I realized that like most people, I behave differently as a homeowner than I did as a renter. As a renter, I paid my rent on time. I fixed minor things around the house and I took care of things more or less, but I rarely went above and beyond. This was especially evident in my lawn i mowed the grass i raked the leaves but i rarely watered it and to be honest i didn't think much about the bare spots or the areas where clover was taking over but when i bought a house all that changed all of a sudden i had a complete sense of ownership and responsibility of the situation and to be honest i really didn't want to mess it up so I now spread fertilizer, I mow on a regular basis, I water my yard once a week according to the Saul's requirements, and as luck would have it, uh, our lead pastor, Brick Carpenter, has an ag degree, and he has hammered home to me that St. Augustine loves a deep water about once a week. All of this has turned me into the guy who cares perhaps a little too much about his lawn. But in the process of doing this, I've come to an important realization. For some of you, this will be painfully obvious, but I've learned that watering and fertilizing are helpful ways to nourish grass, but they pale in comparison to rain. I found myself recently joining most of the rest of the people in the history of the world, praying that God would send the rain particularly over these last couple months. Why am I sharing this relatively strange new quirk of mine? It's because our need for God to bring rain in our physical lives parallels our need for God to bring the rain of his Holy Spirit in our spiritual lives. And here's the good news. In Isaiah 55, God spoke these words to his people. is that these words would be true in our lives as we read read Hebrews chapter 9. Let's turn there now. Most Bible commentators note that there are four sections that the author uses to develop his argument. Verses 1 to 10, we see a description of the ways in which the old covenant was incomplete. Verses 11 to 15, we see that the new covenant is superior to the old. In verses 16 to 22, we note the vital role that Jesus' death and the blood which he shed has had in inaugurating or beginning this new covenant. And finally, in verses 23 to 28, we get a glimpse of our present hope, which we both experience and wait for right now. I'd like to review each of these sections at a high level this morning. In verses 1 to 7, the author of Hebrews describes the sacrificial system uh, of temple worship that was established through the covenant that God made with Moses. He first describes the place where the sacrifices occurred. And then he describes the people who made them. And then in verses 8 to 10, he gives us a summary of why this system was incomplete. I love how the message translation um, puts it. It says, This was the Holy Spirit's way of showing, with a visible parable, that as long as the large tent stands, people can't just walk in on God. Under this system, the gifts and sacrifices can't really get to the heart of the matter, can't assuage the conscience of the people, but are limited to matters of ritual behavior. It is essentially a temporary arrangement until a complete overhaul could be made. Under the old system, only one person, one time per year, could enter into the presence of God. The result of this was an external rather than internal solution to the problem of sin which plagues every human being. If you were here last week, you will remember that it was God's desire to write His law on the hearts of His people. In other words, to transform them from the inside out, to give them the desire and the ability to follow his ways internally. This kind of change required a greater sacrifice, a greater mediator. In other words, a new covenant or relationship between God and his people. According to verses 11 to 15, the arrival of Christ inaugurated these greater things. Verses 13 to 14 articulate it well. It says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Y'all, Jesus came not simply to take away our guilt, but to transform our relationship with God. Our conscience is that part of us which recognizes our sinfulness. If we listen enough to our conscience, we'll become aware of how totally we fall short of God's plan, of God's standards. And we'll be tempted to hide from him, just as Adam and Eve did all those years back in the Garden of Eden. When we trust in Christ, he takes away our guilt, but he also transforms our hearts. We no longer have the need to hide from God, but we can stand before him as we truly are, new creatures redeemed by Christ. And in this renewed state, we can serve him from a place of love and gratitude rather than from a place of fear. With verses 16 to 22, the author of Hebrews develops an important idea as he compares the new covenant to a will, just like the will you or I might make to help our family members. A will, he points out, takes effect only after the death of the one who made it. He then goes on to enumerate the ways that the death of a sacrifice and the sprinkling of blood were used to purify the things in the first covenant. And then the section concludes with a helpful summary in verse 23. It says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. In other words, Jesus did not come to change the system, which involved blood atonement, but to satisfy it fully and perfectly by offering his own blood. Chapter 9 concludes with the description of the spiritual dimension of Jesus' sacrifice. By dying a real physical death on the cross, Jesus has done the following in the spiritual realm. It says, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear for a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him the last verses there serve as a sharp contrast between the work of jesus and the works of the old covenant jesus enters heaven not simply uh, the place that represents heaven Jesus presents his body and blood, not the body and blood of another. Jesus' sacrifice is perfect and does not need to be repeated year after year. And finally, Jesus' sacrifice enables him to return one day to us to bring full salvation to all those who trust in him. So what do we do with this information? How does this theological comparison of the old and the new covenants affect our day to day lives to answer those questions we need to remember the purpose for which this author is writing the letter in the first place there's a group of Jewish people who have put their trust in Christ but they're beginning to waver in their commitment they're facing persecution and they're tempted to choose an easier path they're considering, considering putting their trust in something other than Jesus. They're being lured away from the greater things and encouraged to settle for the lesser things. Can you relate? The last several years have been hard. As we face one crisis after another and we take stock of the brokenness in the world around us, We're tempted to turn back to the things upon which we once relied for peace and security. But the author reminds us that nothing short of the finished work of Jesus Christ can save us. Nothing and no one else can transform our hearts from the inside out. No one else can transform the hearts of our fellow Americans, the hearts of the leaders of our major institutions. And so our task is to eagerly await the salvation of Jesus and follow him wherever he invites us to join him in his redemptive work. I have one final observation about lawn care. During a drought, watering the yard seems like a futile endeavor. As I mentioned, the water from the hose is not nearly as effective as rainwater. However, some water is definitely better than no water at all. We water a dry lawn to keep the roots alive. Water-stressed grass looks dead, but if it has been watered properly, it's not dead. It's simply dormant. And when the rain comes, as it did a few Tuesdays ago, that dormant life bursts forward gloriously. I believe that's an important picture for us. If we find ourselves this morning in a spiritual drought, we must wait for God to bring the rain. But ours is an active sort of waiting. As we read scripture, as we set aside time to pray, as we gather together to worship, as we serve those in need, and as we advocate for the vulnerable, God keeps the roots of our faith alive. And when the glorious reign of his Holy Spirit comes and falls in a fresh way, life bursts forward. I'd like to close by reading a couple more excerpts from Isaiah 55. I believe that this passage speaks prophetically to the work that Jesus would do in the future and that Jesus has done for us. The invitation comes as a result of that work. This morning, I want you to receive this invitation from God and respond as the Holy Spirit leads you. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you this morning for the reminder that the work is finished for the reminder that you are the one who redeems you are the one who gives rain to the physical and you're the one who rains your Holy Spirit on the spiritual we ask Jesus that you would refresh us today that you would remind us of all that you have accomplished that you would remind us that you are in the heavenly places sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, that we might have life and life abundantly, and that we might bear that life in the lives of others, that we might encourage and strengthen all those who are disheartened and discouraged in our world. So this morning, we ask that you would meet us in a special way, in a few moments here, that we would encounter you afresh, and that you would bring water, your water, to the parts of us which are dry and which need refreshment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.